me to the book of Psalms. Psalm 38. Psalm of David, a petition. The word of God where it says, O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath, for your arrows have pierced me and your hand has come down upon me. Because of your wrath, there is no health in my body. My bones have no soundness because of my sin. My guilt overwhelm me like a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and are loathsome because of my sinful folly. I am bowed down and brought very low. All day long I go about mourning. My back is filled with searing pain. There is no health in my body. I am feeble and utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of heart. All my longings lie open before you, O Lord. My sighing is not hidden from me. My heart pounds. My strength fails me. Even the light has gone from my eyes. My friends and companions avoid me because of my wounds. My neighbours stay far away. Those who seek my life set their traps. Those who would harm me talk of my ruin. All day long... They plot deception. I'm like a deaf man who cannot hear, like a mute who cannot open his mouth. I have become like a man who does not hear, whose mouth can offer no reply. I wait for you, O Lord. You will answer, O Lord my God. For I said, do not let them gloat or exalt themselves over me when my foot slips. For I'm about to fall. And my pain is ever with me. I confess my iniquity. I am troubled by my sin. Many are those who are my vigorous enemies. Those who hate me without reason are numerous. Those who repay my good with evil slander me when I pursue what is good. O Lord, do not forsake me. Do not be far from me, O my God. Come quickly to help me, O Lord my Saviour. I can barely feel my arms. <laughs> and this blister that I got yesterday, Jeff wanted me to mention that. Um, Crumbs, I'm falling apart up here. Ed's had me shoveling dirt, the same pile of dirt back and forth for a couple of weeks now. And uh, I think it's some kind of joke. <laughs> it's just, whoever's idea that was, it's uh, very unkind. Anyway, let's, uh, let's focus now on uh, this psalm of God. Let's, let's pray. Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that you speak to us, Uh, Lord, that you speak to us in the good times, but that you also speak to us in our pain. 
Uh, and Lord, we pray that you would speak to each one of us this morning, especially to those of us who are hurting uh, and need to be encouraged uh, by a new picture of who you are and of your love and your compassion and kindness. Uh, so, Father, we ask that you would grant us that uh, for the sake of your great name. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't know which is worse uh, in life, to suffer for no apparent reason or to suffer when it's your own fault, uh, when it's because of your own stupid folly. Uh, sometimes we suffer and it isn't our fault and the difficulty is trying to understand what's going on and why God has allowed this to happen and the challenge for us is to learn to trust God uh, in those difficult situations. But sometimes we suffer because of the stupid things that we do, because of our own evil uh, and the difficulty then is in coming to terms with uh, the fact that it's our own fault. Uh, at least if it's not your own fault, there's one less thing for you to worry about. You can go, well, well, at least there's one thing I know, that, that I didn't have anything to do with it. But when it is your fault, it can often be extra hard to come to terms with that. Uh, this morning we're continuing our series looking at the different causes and cures of uh, dark nights of the soul and, and those, uh, those, those dark times when life is difficult and when God seems far away. Uh, last week we thought about people whose dark night of the soul occurred because they were far away from God and God was trying to draw them back. They didn't know God and God wanted them to know him and so uh, their lives became difficult so that they might turn to him uh, for grace and mercy. This week we're looking at somebody who knows God and who loves God uh, but they've got caught up in sin and because of that their life has sort of turned uh, to darkness. Psalm 38 is not about a person who isn't a Christian, it is about a person who is a Christian and who's been laid low by their own uh, folly, by their own sin. The little title at the beginning of Psalm 38 tells us that it was written by David. David was one of the great kings of Israel. Uh, he was a man who'd been set into that position by God. He was a man who had given his life to serving God. And he was a man who was following God. And yet, in this psalm, he's wrestling with the fact that his life has been derailed by his own sin. Uh, his, his life has been derailed by his own waywardness. This psalm, if you like, is about those times that we suffer, and it's our fault, those times that we suffer because of our own guilt. Uh, and it helps us to think through uh, how to respond to that. If, if we're in that situation, if we're suffering because of our own folly, how do we respond to that? And if somebody we know is suffering like that, how can we help them? Well, David says in verse 1, O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have pierced me and your hand has come down on me. Because of your wrath, there is no health in my body. My bones have no soundness because of my sin. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. It's useful to point out, I think, that there's two ways that we talk about guilt in the English language. Guilt can refer to how we feel, so we feel guilty about something, but guilt can also refer to a more objective phenomenon. So if, 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 you're, if you commit a crime, you are guilty of it, you're found guilty of it by the courts. Uh, but the two kinds of guilt aren't necessarily connected. So a person can uh, feel guilty when they've done nothing wrong, 
uh, or a person cannot feel guilty even when they have done something wrong. So they've been convicted of a crime and they go, well, I don't feel you know, bad about that at all. In the Bible, it's the second concept of guilt, which is the more primary and, and more fundamental. Both of them are there, uh, but it's, it's the idea of the objective idea that we're guilty before God, which is uh, the more fundamental one. We're guilty in God's eyes because of what we've done against God and against uh, the people that God's made and against the world that, that God's made. And out of that, out of the objective reality, we, we, we sometimes get a sense of that and then we're overwhelmed by that, by the feelings of guilt that, that flow from that. David's problem in Psalm 38 is, is, is both, but the danger is not that he might feel bad about himself. His danger is primarily the wrath and anger of God. He has a, an incredible sense of what might happen because of what he's done to God. Uh, He's done something wrong and he knows that and he's suffering the consequences. God's arrows have pierced his heart, he says, and God's hand has come down heavily upon him. David has felt that heavy hand of God in three different ways or if you like, there's three uh, kinds of consequences to uh, David's guilt before God. So the first kind of consequence is Uh, physical. He says in verse 3, because of your wrath there is no health in my body. My bones have no soundness because of my sin. Or verse 5, my wounds fester and are loathsome because of my sinful folly. So physical sickness uh, doesn't have to be, it's not always the result of sin, but sometimes it is. Sometimes that's actually quite obvious. so it's, it's quite direct that the, the consequences that we face are the direct result of the sins that we commit. So for instance, you might uh, commit a sexual sin and that might have left you with a sexually transmitted disease. It's a direct result of, of the sin. Uh, or, or years of drug use might have left you with a lifetime of mental health issues. Uh, or, or, or other health issues. Uh, and more mundane sins can have long-term consequences as well. So recklessness, false pride, uh, and a sense of invulnerability might leave us incapacitated. It might leave us with a lifelong injury. We think we're, we're untouchable, and actually that ends up costing us uh, dearly. Uh, carelessness with what we eat or laziness uh, can leave you with diabetes uh, or other health complications. Some physical sickness is the direct result of our sin, but sometimes it can be indirect. Uh, God might meet sin in one area of our life with physical affliction in another area, uh, just to kind of make us sit up and take notice of what's going on. So we might have a brush with death, Or there might be that slow, nervous wait for the results of a blood test. Uh, Or a broken leg might slow us down and give us the opportunity, the time to reflect on our life and where it's going and where we're at. A bout of the flu might do the same. Uh, A debilitating illness uh, illness reminds us of of our weakness and our vulnerability. 
So the first kind of consequence that sin can have is a, is a physical consequence. But secondly, it's also emotional. Verse 6, I'm bowed down and brought very low. All day long I go about mourning. Or verse 8, I am feeble and utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of heart. Verse 10, my heart pounds, my strength fails me. Even the light has gone from my eyes. Uh, Jean Valjean in the musical, in the musical version of Les Mis uh, describes it well when he says, I feel my shame inside me like a knife. Uh, he, he has this deep, uh, overwhelming sense of his guilt uh, and his sin. Uh, it's in a moment he's just been released from prison. Uh, he steals from a priest who's put him up for the night. Uh, and even though that priest lets him go and actually lets him take his best silverware with him, he gives him a reprieve. Even though that happens, Jean Valjean finds himself on the road a few moments later and there's a small boy and this boy drops a coin, just, just a, a small amount of money, and, and he basically attacks this child and steals this, this tiny amount of money from this, from this child. And in that moment, as this child r- flees off into the distance, Valjean has this deep sense of his own evil, the evil of his own heart. He says, I'm reaching, but I fall, and the night is closing in as I stare into the void, to the whirlpool of my sin. Sometimes that's how we feel. We have these moments. That's what David is feeling in Psalm 38. He has this moment where he looks into the void, he looks inside his own heart, and all he sees is this whirlpool of sin sucking him down into the the depths of death and decay, of evil. There are moments in our lives, I think, when our evil and our sense of God's wrath completely overwhelms us. We see who we are. I knew a guy who was so terrified at one point in his life that he would go to the movie theatre and he would sit there and every rumble that came from the cinema next door would leave him in a cold sweat. So deep impressed was he by the fear generated by his own sinfulness, a sense of his own sinfulness and the wrath of God, the deserved wrath of God. Perhaps that's uh, how you're feeling at the moment. Perhaps you don't need anyone to convince you that you are a sinner, that you're a rebel, uh, that God's wrath stands against you. Uh, Perhaps you know that actually quite well and and it's crippling you. And you live every moment of every day under that dark cloud, uh, under that cloud of the sense of God's righteous anger. God is in the right and you're in the wrong and you know it. Uh, And like David, you go about mourning. Maybe that's how you feel. The second kind of consequence uh, that sin can have is emotional. It can have a physical can have physical consequences, it can have emotional consequences. And third, perhaps somewhat unexpectedly as well, it has social consequences. Uh, because of his sin, David becomes a pariah, becomes an outcast. Verse 11, my friends and my companions avoid me because of my wounds. My neighbours stay far away. Those who seek my life set their traps. Those who would harm me talk of my ruin all day long. Uh, sorry, all day long they plot my deception. Verse 20, those who repay my good with evil slander me uh, when I pursue what is good. 
even now when he's seeking good, people are attacking him. He's, he's trying to fix up his life. He's trying to do the right thing. But even still, people are turned against him. And sometimes it's the case, I think, that when our sin becomes public, it has hurtful and long-term consequences. So if you're exposed as a liar, that affects your, kind of, that affects your public life. Uh, people won't trust you. If you're exposed as a fraud, people won't do business with you anymore. Uh, if you're convicted of a criminal offence, uh, some friends will stop having anything to do with you. Uh, if you're convicted of a sexual offence, you'll live with that for the rest of your life. Uh, and that's true. Those things are true. The consequences of those things stand, even if by the grace of God you can manage to put away the sins, those, those sins. Uh, so if your marriage has been worn down by years of hostility the most likely thing is that that won't heal quickly, uh, even once you're seeking to do the right thing. So you might reach a point in your marriage and you say, from today on, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to respond rightly. And you may well do that. But actually, the, con- the social consequences of that, the relational consequences of that, can't be kind of healed overnight. As Winston Churchill said, the mistakes of years can't be remedied in hours. God wants you to rebuild your marriage, but it will take years to do it, and the Spirit of God can help you to do that. But the point is that our sin can bring on us consequences, consequences in terms of our relationships, in terms of our physical well-being, and in terms of our emotional well-being as well. C.S. Lewis famously said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Uh, Or as one of my lecturers at Bible college used to say, sometimes God gives us a smack. Uh, That is, sometimes through physical, emotional and spiritual difficulties, God gives us a smack uh, to call us back to him, uh, to remind us of who he is and and of the need for us to turn away from sin. Uh, If you're suffering at the moment, a good question to ask is, is there a sin that God wants me to address the answer to that question might be no. The suffering that you're experiencing at the moment might not have anything to do with, with anything going on in your life at the moment. It might not have anything to do with sin in your life. Uh, that's what happened to, to Job in the Old Testament. Uh, the suffering that he experienced had nothing to do with his sin. Uh, but the answer might also be yes. The suffering that you're experiencing at the moment may be a direct result of your sin, and in which case... God is here calling you to address that and to deal with it. So David knows uh, why he's suffering. He's suffering because of what he's done. He's ignored God, he's disobeyed God, and he's suffering the physical, uh, emotional and social consequences of that. But how does he deal with that? How does he respond to that? Uh, And if that's where you are, how do you respond to that? How do you deal with that? Well, David uh, does three things in his response to his guilt. The first thing he does is to tell God how much he's suffering. You'd think that God would know. Uh, You'd think that God, having caused it, would know what David is suffering. And yet, David's first response is to tell God what he's experiencing. The whole psalm here is addressed to God. Verse 1, O Lord, that's the first words, O Lord, do not rebuke me 
or discipline me in your wrath. Verse 9, all my longings lie open before you. O Lord, my sighing is not hidden from you. David is, a, is addressing God. He's not uh, complaining about his suffering to other people. Uh, he's not just speaking to himself, sort of kind of uh, a Hamlet soliloquy. No, he's speaking to God. He's saying to God, I can't breathe. You've laid me low. You've laid me in the, in the, in the depths. My body aches. Everyone's deserting me. I want you to know how much I'm suffering. You might think uh, that if suffering is your own fault, that the way you respond to that is just to grin and bear it. But isn't it interesting that that's not at all what David does? It's his own fault. And actually, he still turns to God and says, Wow, God, this is really hard. Uh, I know that you know that, but I'm just... I'm just saying that out loud because you're my God and I want you to know it. Just because uh, it's your own fault and just because God has caused it, it doesn't mean that God's disinterested in how you're feeling. God is the God of great compassion. Uh, He's gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love, says Psalm 145. David shows us... uh, what we need to do. If you're suffering the consequences of sin and and laid low by God's righteous anger, then what you need to do is to tell God about it. You need to tell God about the bleakness of your life and the weight of his anger uh, and the burden of his wrath. You can say to him, look God, you've you've stripped me bare. You have stripped me down to nothing. I've got nothing left. You've laid me down in the dust of, of death. I can barely breathe. You don't need to pretend to God that it's all going wonderfully. You can be honest even when it's your own fault. So in response to his dark night, uh, suffering because of his guilt, David first tells God how he feels and how much he's suffering, but second, he confesses his sin. Right up front at the beginning of the psalm, he acknowledges that all of this has happened because of his own folly. Verse 3. My bones have no soundness. Why? Because of my sin. Or verse 4, my guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. Or verse 5, my wounds fester and are loathsome because of my sinful folly. Verse 18, he confesses his sin. It's absolutely clear. I confess my iniquity. I am troubled by my sin. He doesn't pretend that he's not to blame. And how easy, I think, it is for us to do that. Uh, We can blame other people for our sin. I wouldn't have got angry uh, if you hadn't have provoked me. I wouldn't have stolen that uh, if I wasn't so poor. What David does is to accept complete responsibility for what he's done and to acknowledge that God is absolutely justified in his response. That lies at the heart of our confession. The heart of confession is to say to God, Lord, I've sinned and it's all my fault. It's no one else's fault, it's mine. I've sinned, I've done what's evil in your eyes, you're right to condemn condemn me if you choose to do that. 
Uh, Sometimes, as we've seen, it can be clear that our suffering is the result of our sin when it's a direct consequence. Uh, And if that's the case for you, then please take the time now, if you're suffering now because of the consequences of your sin, please take the time now to confess that to God uh, and to acknowledge that it's your fault. But sometimes it's not clear. Uh, Sometimes it's not clear that our suffering is caused by our sin. Uh, And we have to think through that. And and here are some ways to help you think through uh, what to do if you're not sure whether what you're suffering at the moment is the result of of guilt. So first, the question is, is there a sin that you can readily identify in your life that God might be calling you to address? Uh, If there is, then confess that to God and ask for his forgiveness and ask for his help to overcome that. It may not be the cause of your suffering, but that doesn't matter. God is still calling you to address it. If you can think of a sin in your life that you need to address, then you need to address it, whether it's the cause of your suffering or not. Don't get caught up in that question. Just get caught up in the question, is there a sin in my life that I need to address? Uh, Second, is there something in your life which you're not sure about. You're not sure whether it's the right thing or the wrong thing. Uh, Well, just admit that to God. Just say to God, God, I don't know whether this is right or wrong. Please help me to know whether it's uh, sinful or not sinful. Uh, And if it's wrong, help me to understand why that is and help me to put that away. And if it's right, help me to understand that too. And you can also seek wise counsel and advice. Ask somebody. Uh, ask a mature Christian friend, ask uh, one of the elders, or myself or Steve. Elders are supposed to be able to teach, that is, able to teach people the truth, what's right and what's wrong, to help people work through that. Uh, and so ask others uh, to help you think through those issues as well. Uh, third, if there doesn't seem to be any great sin in your life, you can still ask God to forgive your hidden faults. You can say... You, You know, there's always sin in our life, isn't there? Uh, And we can say to God, well, God, I don't know all the things in my heart, uh, like David does, I think it's in Psalm 32, please forgive my hidden faults. Uh, And help you, ask him to help you to keep trusting in the death of Jesus, to keep uh, trusting that the death of Jesus is sufficient to atone for all our sins, whether we know them or not. Uh, and ask him to help you to keep trusting uh, that you're righteous and holy in Christ. Uh, Finally, even if you're not suffering at the moment, but you're aware of unaddressed sin in your life, well, don't wait to end up like David. That is, don't wait until your life falls apart to deal with sin, but deal with it now. How How much better is that? To confess sin now before things turn bad than to wait until everything goes to pieces. So in response to his dark night uh, of the soul, uh, suffering because of his guilt, David tells God how he's feeling, how much he's suffering. He confesses his sin and admits his fault. And finally, he calls on God for mercy. Verse 1, O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. What David is experiencing in this psalm is not God's judgment, What he's experiencing is God's discipline. David belongs to God, 
but he's suffering the fatherly discipline of God. The writer of Hebrews says, and you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because, listen to this, the Lord disciplines those he loves. And he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. God's discipline is a sign of love, not opposition. And yet here David is floundering under it and he's calling on God to be merciful. Uh, He's calling on God, if you like, to make his discipline less severe. Uh, If you're suffering the consequences of your own sin, then you can cry out to God and to cry out to God to to have mercy, to be less severe in the way that he's treating you. Uh, Even if you deserve every single bit of what you're enduring, you can still appeal to the kindness of God. God's kindness is more abundant than his justice. You can call out to God who pardons and forgives sin and who doesn't stay angry forever, but who delights to show mercy. But hidden behind David's uh, cry is a deeper fear, I think, which comes out in verse 21 and 22. He says, O Lord, do not forsake me. Be not far from me, O my God. Come quickly to help me, O Lord, my Saviour. His fear seems to be that God's discipline was just the beginning of a much larger move away by God. Uh, His fear seems to be that God won't merely discipline him, but that God might forsake him altogether. What if this is just kind of the thin end of the wedge? What if this is just, you know, a portent of things to come? What if discipline is just God saying, well, you know, it started off being for your good, but now, no, I've, I've come to the end of my patience with you. This is it. This is the end. David's fear is that God would forsake him and leave him to hell. And for many of us, I think, when we're confronted by our sin, that's our hidden fear. Our hidden fear is that God will be fed up with us. Our fear is that while he's been patient in the past, he's not going to be patient this time. Our fear is that while he's forgiven us 10,000 times before, this time he won't do it. This time is the final straw. After all, how long have we been struggling with that sin? And how many times have we asked God to forgive us for it? And how many times have we then just gone and thrown ourselves back into it? Why this time when we come crying back to God, will he still be merciful? Why will he still accept us as sons? If that's your fear then please listen to these words of encouragement from uh, other places in the Bible. Here are these words from 1 John chapter 1. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Or these words from Romans 10.13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Or these words from Jesus' own lips, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. 
But perhaps the most encouraging words are these other words from Jesus, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They might not seem like particularly encouraging words. In fact, they might seem to speak to our deepest fears. But they are encouraging words. They're encouraging because they tell us that even though you and I deserve to be forsaken, Jesus was forsaken for us. And that if you receive by faith what Christ has done, and if you put your trust in him, then Jesus was forsaken for you. He was forsaken so that you might never be forsaken. He was cast off so that you might never be cast off. He was punished so that you might never be. You don't ever need to fear that God will forsake you because that place of yours has already been taken by Jesus. And God doesn't meet out the punishment for the same crime twice. If we belong to Jesus, we might suffer God's discipline, we might endure his training, but he won't ever forsake us and he won't ever cast us off. There's a wonderful story a uh, little story in John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, when Pilgrim is on his way to the eternal city, or Christian is on his way to the eternal city, and he disobeys the Lord of the city and he wanders off the path and into, the, into a field by the way. Uh, and eventually he and his friend Hopeful uh, are captured by the giant despair uh, and imprisoned at the very bottom of Doubting Castle. And day and night, uh, Christian is tortured and beaten by the giant. And at the languishing in this cell, he despairs of life. Uh, he's, he, he despairs of ever getting out. And he's so uh, utterly desperate that he's tempted to take his own life, to, to, just to put an end to the, this despair and the doubts uh, that he's enduring. But almost uh, at his end, he prays to God, and as he's praying, he remembers something. And he says to himself, what a fool am I, thus to lie in a stinking dungeon, when I may as well walk at liberty. I have a key in my bosom called promise, that will I am persuaded open any lock in Doubting Castle. And he pulls his key out of his pocket and he walks up to every single door in that castle and the doors swing open and he walks out and he finds himself free. Christian discovers that promise, the promise of God, can rescue us from giant despair and save us from imprisonment in Doubting Castle. Or in the words of the writer of Hebrews, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus who went before us has entered on our behalf. However far we're plunged down into the depths of our sin, God's promises in Jesus reach high into heaven and through the curtain and anchor us in the loving arms of God. However deep the sin, however deep the despair, however deep the pain, God will never leave us or forsake us. And though we might spend many years or decades, we might even spend our entire life in this world 
locked up in Doubting Castle by giant despair, the bonds that tie us to Christ are stronger than the chains that bind us to hell. And one day, whether in this life or the next, God's promises will unlock every door and bring us safe into the citizenship of the city of God. Uh, Although it was a bad piece of advice for Job, this advice from one of his friends is good advice for those of us who are weighed down by sin. Yet if you devote your heart to him and stretch out your hands to him, if you put away the sin that is in your hand and allow no evil to dwell in your tent, then you will lift up your face without shame. You will stand firm and without fear. You will surely forget your trouble, recalling it only as water's gone by. Life will be brighter than noonday, and darkness will become like morning. You will be secure because there is hope. You will look about you and take rest in safety. You will lie down with no one to make you afraid. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a loving Father and a merciful Father, but also a Father who disciplines those whom you love. And Lord, many of us can testify to those dark and difficult times which you have used to shape us and to refine us, to call us to a stronger faith, to call us to repentance, to call us to turn away from sin, to call us to a new and living hope, to a greater appreciation of all that you've done in Christ Jesus. Lord, thank you that many of us can look back with with gladness and with joy at the difficult times that you've sent in our lives. But Lord, there are also some of us who are imprisoned at the moment in those dark times. Uh, Those of us who are imprisoned because of our own sin and our own folly. And Lord, we feel condemned and convicted. uh, And we feel hopeless and desperate because we know that it's our own fault. But Lord, we pray that you would uh, work in the hearts of those people, that you would encourage them by your grace and mercy in Christ Jesus, that you would help them to know that they can be honest with you about the pain of what they're going through, that they can be honest with you and confess their sin and know that that's not the path to judgment but to forgiveness. We pray that they would know that they can call out to you to be merciful and to know that you are a merciful God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Lord, we pray for those who are suffering the consequences of their sin at the moment, that you would grant them to know your love and your grace, that you would pluck them out of the darkness and that you would enfold them in your loving embrace. We ask all these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.